You're tuned in to the Chang Warner, the podcast coming to you from Chang Wan City, South Korea, with your hosts, Scott, Adam, and Phil. It's the Chang Warner Podcast, the podcast that brings you some of the people living and working right here in South Korea and in Chang Wan City in particular. I'm Scott, one of the hosts of the show, and sitting across from me is the other two hosts. We have Phil. Phil, how's it going? It's going great. And sitting beside him is Adam. Adam, how's things? Good, thanks. So it's been just over three years, I believe April 16th, 2014. A tragic you know, accident happened here in South Korea. A boat that was called the Sewu was uh, making a voyage from, I believe, Incheon to Jeju-do. And something terrible happened. The boat sank and a lot of lives were perished. And there's a new documentary film that has to do with the Sewol Ferry. It's called After the Sewol. You can find out more about it by going to www.afterthesewol.com. And we're lucky to have two of the filmmakers with us today behind After the Sewol. We have Neil George and Matthew Root joining us via Skype here. Hi, guys. So, Neil, how's it going? Yeah, it's going good, thanks. Good to see you. And Matthew, how are things? Yeah, great, thanks. So, uh, a lot of people out there, listeners that we have, might not know the story or what what exactly the Sewol is, actually. So, uh, would one of you like to tell us what your film is about? So, After the Sewol is a documentary film about the sinking of the Sewol Ferry in 2014. And what it focuses on mainly is the negligence towards safety issues within Korea and previous accidents which have happened because of ignoring safety rules or just taking safety for granted. So we use the Sewol as kind of like our catalyst and our main focus in this documentary. And it also touches on other things like the political background in Korea, which has you know been a big part of other previous accidents. And, Mm. yeah, our journey kind of takes us all over Korea, exploring different tragedies that have happened in the last 50 or 60 years. And we also dive into or delve into some of, you know, what the current citizens, you know, think about this tragedy and how it's kind of affected their lives. So uh, both of you two are from, are you from England, Britain, correct? Yeah, Yeah, that's correct. correct. And Neil, where do you live currently uh currently i'm living just south of seoul in a small city called Antong. okay uh, i've been here since 2011 now uh, i first came to korea in 2005 and stayed for a little bit about a about a year and a bit just teaching some english as a lot of people do i did some photography work uh, went back and then came again in 2011 working as a professor teaching filmmaking at a university near Anton. All right. And Matthew, where are you living? Uh, right now I'm in Daegu. And similar to Neil, I've been here since 2011. Started off as a teacher. But um, when when we kind of started this project, I ended up giving up my job so I could uh, you know work on this full time and get it done. How'd you guys uh, meet each other? Like, how, do you, how do you know each other? Um, when was it? So I think it was... Early 2015, I just completed a lot of the pre-production stuff for After the Sewol, and um, there was a couple of shoots going on in Seoul, which I needed to uh, 
to be at, but unfortunately I wasn't able to make it. So I was looking online for people who could go and, you know, cover these events for me. And Neil, you know, thankfully he, he was uh, willing to go do these shoots for me. And then after, like, he was also telling me that he did kind of have an idea of doing a Saywall documentary, but unfortunately at the time he wanted to do his, he was busy. So he kind of, like, gave me a lot of, like, advice on making this documentary, like, when we met. So, you know, it was, it was like the perfect kind of situation for me to, you know, be able to bring Neil on board on this project. So that was okay. early 2000. Yeah, early 2016. 16, yeah, 2016, sorry. Has it been difficult because both of you live in different areas? Has <laughs> it been difficult, not just the filmmaking, but just everything and, you know, communication and getting things done? And so it's, I'll ask Neil, what's been the most difficult thing for you? Um, like what's, the fact that we live, like I live in Ansong and Matt lives in Daegu has never really right. been that much of an issue. Uh, we constantly, I think we talk <laughs> literally every day, just chat on Facebook uh, or Skype or anything like that. So, I mean, that's never been any kind of real issue for us. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of difficulties with independent filmmaking. So I don't know where you want to start, but there's that's a never-ending question, to be honest. <laughs> Matthew, what got you into filmmaking um, be- before all this, like, say, back home? Yeah, so back home, I uh, I first started studying film in 2002 when I went to college. And, you know, as soon as I started studying that and we had like a, a small kind of assignment of go out and make like a short three-minute video, it was like the most fun I'd, I'd ever had in my life. So I guess I, I kind of decided then that's what I wanted to do. But, you know, like, like with any kind of like art-based subject, it's... A lot of people, you know, kind of think it's it's an unrealistic dream to be chasing. So, you know, I done, I done it for a few years at college, didn't really consider, you know, doing it as a career. And then I, I ended up studying film at university, and that's when I started to take it more serious. But even still, when I was, you know, about to graduate, I didn't really have any you know, options open to me as to, you know, a film production company I could go into. So hence the reason I came to Korea. But, you know, since being here, there's been a lot of opportunities, especially with doing like freelance work or just like one-off projects with people. And, you know, I'm kind of happy with that at the minute, like rather than being involved in a big production company, just, you know, doing my own thing. It's, it's been great. So, okay. Yeah. And Neil, what got you into the film business? Uh, kind of, yeah, same. I studied photography and cinematography at university, uh, in London. Okay. And then I worked, I graduated and basically worked as a photography assistant for a while. Then I moved, kind of moved into more TV based content so i worked for a couple of small production companies in in and around london uh came to korea in 2005 went back in 2006 and carried on working for companies producing mostly factual based documentaries um for the likes of sky television it's a big like network in in england yeah uh before that producing like the production company basically did stuff for you know bbc channel 4 sky tv so 
Have you always been interested in documentary filmmaking, or is there any, any other genre that you were taken by? Because um, I know, like, uh, yeah. like in London, in London, I know there's a very famous uh, director right now, Steve McQueen, who's mm-hmm. also a photographer. Yeah, uh, and now he's 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 moved on to feature films. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I started off making short films, like typical, mm-hmm. you know, the typical student short films. So not very good, but um, and I'm. To be honest, I'm really interested in storytelling. So, and I'm more interested in factual storytelling. So, it's not the most easiest to get any money in because you know people prefer to switch their brains off when they go and watch t- uh, go and watch films at the cinema. Seeing yeah. uh, the blockbusters with all the CGI. Yeah. So, but for me, like I when I since I've been in Korea, this is my fourth feature documentary now. So and, that, and most of them have been around human rights kind of issues. So I've kind of drifted to the direction of human rights filmmaker at the moment. So I mean, there's not a lot of money in it, but giving something back to society is always quite nice. Yeah. And we have an email question from one Dean? of our from a, a previous host of the show. Yeah. Mm. So, what was the first film that you saw that made you want to be a filmmaker? Is there any uh, anything from way back when? Matthew, we'll ask you first. Um, I mean, I don't think there was one film particular which made me want to become a filmmaker, but I do remember, I mean, it was early 90s. I One of the first films I went to the movie theater to see with my father was Jurassic Park. Yeah. And, I mean, as a kid, I was, you know, amazed by seeing these dinosaurs on screen. And I did kind of question how, how did they do this now how is it possible to have these dinosaurs on screen so i guess that is like one thing which kind of made me start thinking about the processes behind filmmaking which you know i guess in some way did influence me to become more interested you know as as i grew up uh, jurassic park yeah. as a kid Classic. i wasn't a kid when that came out <laughs> <laughs> i guess i know your guys ages now based off your yeah, skype ideas so. Oh yeah, there you watching go. Yeah. That, watching that movie in the theaters, and I can almost always tell when they use real dinosaurs in movies. Right. <laughs> and Neil, what what was your uh, influential uh, movie? Um, probably. I mean, uh, probably Blade Runner and Aliens, oh, yeah. that kind of era. Yeah. Uh, Must we, be a exciting time for you then with. Blade Runner, yeah, the new one, right? Forty nine coming out, and yeah, Covenant, and yeah, yeah. I mean, those ones were, you know, when I was younger, so very interesting. Just the the storytelling and the way it was done, like the cinematography, kind of interested me to know, like Matt said, you know, like how they actually do it and how it's put together. But I think probably I didn't, I didn't really get that into film as I was uh, younger. But when I got a bit older, like. When I was at university and studying photography and cinematography, I kind of got a lot more interested in art house movies and uh, Darren Aronofsky, that kind of uh, David Lynch, like those kind of directors. Very much yeah. more interested in that as I got older. But as a kid, like, like yeah, Aliens was a good one. I remember watching with my dad and my brother. Amateurville, that's a that one scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. Same. Yeah, I watched it recently and, uh, and it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> any are there any documentary films that stick out to either of you start let's say matt any documentary films that are on your favorites list besides your own um i mean i I've, i saw a couple of korean ones which i really enjoyed one of them was about 
it was kind of it was about the education system, like particularly high school. And, yeah. You know, I, I've been here for a while. So, sorry about the noise. Um, <laughs> been here for a while, and uh, yeah, I didn't really know too much about the public education system. So watching that was kind of great from that perspective. Like, I think I followed like three, two or three girls. Yeah, it was a girls' high school. It was really good. But cool. yeah, and documentaries. Yeah. Um, probably more recently, Searching for Sugar Man. A couple of years ago, that came oh. out. Yeah, that's a good one. Very good. Okay. Yeah, South uh, Africa. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was a really nicely put together film. I really liked that. Um, more recently, probably Before the Flood by the flood. Leonardo, Mr. DiCaprio. Hmm. Um, the series, oh, I don't know if you've seen the series called The Jinx. It was on a... Oh, yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. that was very clever and very well put together. So Yeah, I enjoyed um, that one. Yeah, I mean, there's endless streams of... I have no of, idea what this is. So it sounds like you got a young one running around there, Matt, <laughs> eh? Yeah, <laughs> you, you don't have to worry. This isn't a, a live BBC interview. So if kids run in, that's good. It's that's not good. An issue. She's, she's not wearing much at the minute. So, <laughs> and we have another email question. Yeah. All right. So uh, we want to talk about like what's the most difficult part of making a documentary film for you? Is it getting the footage, editing the footage, obtaining permissions to use footage? audio uh what are some some of the obstacles you guys had to go through in making this film in particular actually all of them all of them that you just listed (laughs) yeah all of the above (laughs) i guess the biggest problem we had uh well particularly on my end neil dealt with most of the editing so i'm sure he can talk about some issues with that but the biggest problem i had was actually finding people to be involved in this documentary yeah and it took well, just the best part of a year just talking with people and, you know, developing like a somewhat a relationship with them to the point they were comfortable enough being on camera and talking about it. Uh, where other people we, we approached, they were more than willing straight away. But, you know, a couple of our key characters, they, they took kind of a long time to get them on board. So, I mean, I started, I initially started back early 2015 and my plan was to have it finished in 2015. But, you know, I spent up until February 2016 just talking with the family members and, you know, explaining my idea. And once they trusted in the idea, they they came on board. So, I mean, that put me like a year behind my original like completion date. Um, was there much of a language barrier? Um, like, uh, yeah, but luckily, you know, every time I went to meet people, we had one or two translators with us. Okay. So, I mean, it was never a big issue. I mean, the biggest language barrier issue we had, I guess, was when it came down to translating all of the interviews that we had conducted. I mean, we had mm. people typing out the Korean and then Subtitles. other people translating that. But... I mean, just yeah. some of the interviews were like fr- three or four hour sessions, which we'd done one or two times. So, you know, that's then like what between six and nine hours, which we have to get transcribed and then translated. Were there any people who were reluctant to speak to, with you? Like if you tried to talk to like government officials <laughs> or something about this? Or... Yep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We tried to contact a couple of different government agencies throughout the whole of 2016 from around i guess march on until we basically finished it and mm. sort of beginning of 2017 uh, obviously as you well maybe as 
some people know when the accident happened, the president that was in seat at the time basically just disbanded the Coast Guard um, and created a new Ministry of Safety. So a lot of people didn't know what was going on in terms of like getting answers and to all of the questions that were coming out. Uh, so we tried to contact the Ministry of Safety on many, many occasions. Uh, we declined every single time via email or phone call. So yeah, that was a bit frustrating to try and get the the kind of other side of it. We were, we eventually got a lot of you know we had a lot of interviews with the family members, uh, some some of the obviously the victims' parents and brothers, uh, but we didn't. We never got hold of any government people to actually say anything other than, sorry, we're too busy to talk to you. Back to what you were saying earlier, Matt. Um, I noticed in the trailer, it's subtitled constantly. Mm. So it, it's, it's really neat to see a movie with different languages subtitled the entire time. I thought that was an interesting part. Yeah, we like, we like doing trailer reviews of Korean mm. movies here. Yeah. And... I think a lot of people would actually watch Korean movies more if they actually had the English subtitles mm. yeah. in yeah. the theaters Definitely, for yeah. foreigners here. Yeah, uh, It might be different in Daegu, but uh, down here we're always complaining about lack of subtitles. Mm. So I mean, they, they used to was, do it here, nice. I think. like With some of the popular Korean movies, they would do like one showing once a week where it would have the Korean, uh, sorry, the English subtitles, but as far as I know, they've stopped doing that. Yeah, so, yeah it, it's annoying. Yeah. Back in the day, we used to have to wait till they came out on DVD and go to the uh, DVD bong and yeah. watch them there with the English subtitles. <laughs> but I think they do do them in Seoul at right. a few places. Yeah. And uh, I just want to say that that last email question that was from uh, Paul. So just a shout out to Paul. Shout out, Paul. And we have another email question. It's, what were the original reasons or goals behind making this film? And did, it, did that change throughout the process? I'm guessing it might have. And that, that's coming from Jonathan. Matt, you want to take that? All right, I'm going to try and keep it somewhat short <laughs> as best I can. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. actually the day it happened, it, well, the day it happened, it's, it's my birthday, April the 16th, so... That day, I was actually on my way to this like language exchange class that I was part of, and I was particularly excited because they told me they were going to have me a birthday cake and all that. So, you know, I was going there, and I was on the subway, and I, I was just reading on BBC News, I think it was, that there was this accident. But, you know, luckily everyone's safe, nothing to worry about. And that, that, was, that was morning time. It was like an hour after the accident actually occurred. So when I got to my class, I, I told all of the Korean students, hey, you guys hear about this? Like, like, luckily, there's nothing to worry about. And they were like, oh, yeah, we didn't hear about it. So I went to show them the news article, but it had changed. And now it said, like, there was, you know, I think the, the death count was still, like, moderately low. Um, but it, it was still saying that a lot of people were unaccounted for. They weren't able to rescue people. And at the time, I was just like, did I... Did I make the mistake? Did I read something wrong earlier? Or has the news like suddenly changed? And I was really confused by that. And actually that a kind of state of confusion I was feeling kind of grew and grew like as the weeks went by because nothing was kind of being answered, which 
I wanted answered. Like, why was the news changed? Why weren't they able to rescue these kids, etc.? Or the people on board? Like, why, why did the crew leave? And I mean, that kind of pushed me in a way to explore some of these answers. Like, why why did this happen? You know, Korea is a very developed country. This this shouldn't happen. Mm. And um, you know, and also coincidentally, at the time, uh, I was planning on you know settling down, getting married, and having kids. And that kind of like further pushed me, especially once we got into production and we found out about you know other accidents which have happened in Korea, you know, even like accidents which happened you know recently within the last year. It kind of pushed me even more to like finish this film, which hopefully raises some awareness to these safety problems, which you know can help get these resolved and you know action being taken. Um, so that's what initially you know got me involved in it, the confusion I felt at the time, and then. Wanting to start a family kind of kept me going and kept pushing me to complete this film. Yeah. And Neil, during the whole process of making mm. making the film, yeah. Like, let's say whatever your or original reasons were behind it. Mm-hmm. Did things? Was there a moment or something during the process that changed things for you? Um. So, um. Probably after we we did the first round of interviews with the uh, the one of the fathers. And also, we did an interview with a brother. We like our our Korean is reasonable. We can understand enough of what was being said, so it was you know highly emotional content. But we didn't. I don't think we we kind of fully grasped exactly what we'd what we'd be looking at. Um, and we really wanted to talk to some of the divers who were involved in the actual rescue and recovery. So we luckily and fortunately, the one of the fathers introduced us to two divers. And I went up to Seoul to meet meet them and talk to them. And towards the end of the interview, one of the divers basically started talking about this other ferry accident that had happened in Korea. Oh. And we were obviously I I wasn't I was not listening properly to what he was saying because someone else was doing the interview. I was doing all the cameras and everything else. And a bit later on, we obviously we we had the transcriptions back and all the translations back. And I read this and was like, "What? Like, what? What just happened? Like, this is this is insane." So obviously, I went and kind of looked into more detail of what this, what he was talking about, to understand a bit more about this other ferry accident. And that was like, I think I remember writing to Matt on uh, talking to him on Facebook or something, and just saying, "Man, this film is just gonna. <laughs> there's just a big can of worm has just uh, opened here and." There's, this has just become so much more than a, a film that was going to be initially just talking about the trauma and how the families were dealing with life after yeah. losing their kids. And, I mean, after that, obviously, we started to look at other accidents, safety-related accidents. And, you know, there's been four ferry accidents in Korea post, okay. post-war. Um, and all of them related to effectively the same kind of thing that happened with the Sable, which was overloading too much cargo, too many passengers, um, bad captaincy, and they're all related to this. So we really, like, that was a huge turning point for us when we we found that out. And then obviously we we looked at more, and then we talk about the Sampung department store that 
in the 90s that collapsed due to safety oh, yeah, and yeah. negligence. There's another one with a bridge, right? Yeah, the Song San Diego, yeah. yeah. No, all at the same time. There was uh, yeah. 93, the, one, the, the ferry, the Sohei ferry, that was in 93, and then I think the Song San Diego was in 94, and Sampung was in 95, and then... So, you know, there, there was also some explosions, some gas explosions, I think, around the same kind of period as well, in around Daegu area, maybe. Um, so there was all of these things that happened at the same kind of period. So safety issues is one of the biggest things, I would say. Like with Matt, now that you have a, a child, obviously, and living in Korea, safety is a big thing. Yeah. It's got to be a big thing for yourself. I mean, I, I've been here 16 years, and mm -hmm. I'm always amazed almost on a daily basis like how unsafe. things how some things are so unsafe yeah right you know <laughs> i mean right down to kids being able to buy syringes at the store with literally a needle in it to shoot water at each other to all kinds of things but yeah yeah just, it's amazing the whole fast mentality yeah. building things and i'm just driving through sangnamdong and no one's looking left or right as <laughs> on the street just kids uh just talking have a conversation in the middle of the road i recently yeah. read an article about uh amusement parks in korea mm. And how that might be the next, you know, something tragic happening. I wouldn't due, be surprised. Due to, you know, due to being overcrowded and safety issues. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at the construction industry, I mean, it's changed a lot. But even after, like, the 90s, Sampung, when that happened, you know, construction regulations barely changed for about 20 years. And I know someone who was working on the new military base that's being built. And the only reason that they instigated uh, much stronger safety regulations on when they were building that is because the Americans insisted on it. Mm. It was not the Koreans that were actually saying we need to be more safe. It was the Americans that were the ones who were concerned. And I mean, look what happened kind of what within the last week, the crane that collapsed and killed quite a few people quite recently so oh in uh, goje island right? yeah so i mean yeah. there's still it's never ending like you said you know yeah. con constantly building roads constantly building apartments i mean if I you work. look around uh changwon mm. you blink your eyes and there's new buildings everywhere it's just amazing how quickly they get these buildings up and yeah. you wonder you know are they taking their time or are they just you know the bottom line I was working in a shipbuilding company for a year, and uh, one day, 10 people died, I believe, just from, uh, I think they were painting, like, in a confined space, yeah. and maybe somebody was smoking, and it, it kind of just, no, uh, you know, explosion. I, I heard the explosion. Yeah. Wow. So, wow. there's safety issues everywhere. Mm. I used to have to drive in my little Matisse car underneath, you know, these great big cranes holding... Yeah multi-ton things right above oh my, my head God. and but anyway yeah safety is definitely a concern yeah all right uh moving on we have another question from email from tammy this is from tammy she asks how did you get the permission to use clips from third parties to use in your film for example cnn or maybe any other uh korean news outlets <laughs> we're in korea you don't need permission no of course you need uh, no. <laughs> uh, of course you need permission um but we we haven't actually released the film officially and it hasn't been broadcast on any networks at the moment so we don't need to currently we don't need to actually have this in place but mm -hmm. once that is 
confirmed uh, if the TV if TV networks obviously pick it up then that is uh, something we have to do it's it's not difficult we just there's places we can just contact they all have uh, emails and websites that are available like CNN for example you know that's easy so just get in contact with them and just buy the rights it's not cheap mind you but um, depends what you again as well it depends what the use behind it is uh, most of the footage we just we took off from YouTube but which has a standard YouTube licensing uh, is that like agreements. the creative creative commons yeah that kind thing? of thing yeah but obviously yeah. doesn't relate sometimes to news orientated footage so you just have to contact the the outlets that you want to use some of them depends on the topic as well some of them will give the footage away for free uh, the ones obviously pay per minute of usage so CNN I think charge around a thousand dollars a minute wow yeah so if anyone from CNN's listening in don't contact us <laughs> the cease and desist letter <laughs> yeah or give us a discount you know <laughs> help us so have you uh, shown the movie around in Korea I mean, I know that you've uh, entered the movie in some film festivals and stuff around here. Yeah, it's we've gone out to a lot of different international film festivals, about 20 different film festivals around the world, trying to spread it out. Uh, we're still waiting for most of those to come back with actual notifications. So, so far, I think we've had seven or eight notifications one, the best feature documentary in TMC in London, which is a small film festival, but quite a reasonable film festival in London. And some other minor, small awards, but we're waiting on some of the bigger festivals at the moment. Mac Oscars. <laughs> Oscars, yeah. And career-wise, um, we showed the film to the families before we finished okay. it. About a month before we actually had a very final, final version, we showed the film to the families just to confirm that they were happy with the content and make sure there wasn't anything uh, that they were unhappy with, which they weren't, and they were they were incredibly positive and supporting the film. So the feedback they gave us was, well, they said it was the best Sable film that they've seen. So that was okay. uh, that was great for to getting that. I don't know if Matt wants to add anything. That was actually an email question from a. Uh, really? That we got from uh, Lockstock. Lockstock. was asking, have you shown the film to the family members in uh, their response? So all right, yeah. You're, you're, right, you're ahead of the game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we also done, uh, we done one screening in Daegu, one in mm -hmm. Seoul, yeah. one, one in Ansong, <clears throat> and another yeah. one in Gwangju. And at the Daegu, the, so most of these were, or, or sorry, the, the Seoul and the Daegu one were... Mm pretty much just for the people who helped fund the project and people that worked on it. And at the Daegu one, we had uh, the brother from our documentary, who was it? Like, he, he lost his brother. He was one of our subjects. He came to it. And um, I'm actually not too sure what he said about it afterwards. Did he, did yeah, he, he say Yeah, he really liked it. Yeah. Okay. And That's he's really good. keen to support the second film, so he's in the second film as well. Okay. And he's helping out to get us some more brothers and sisters to be in it right, right, right. and some other interviewees so yeah he's then, like uh, he's, he's great so you're still uh, constantly working on it on this film that's is that another question <laughs> yeah I don't know, I just, um yeah well the first one obviously now is finished so that one we're just 
looking at distribution options, uh, obviously film festivals, and trying to just promote that as much as possible. And now we're in production on the second film. So we've just done some interviews for that last week, or last Friday, actually, on Friday. Uh, we have another interview on Monday, so tomorrow uh, on <laughs> we have another interview on Monday, <laughs> and then we're going to Guangzhou for the 518 uh, memorial that's happening in around the 18th, 19th, 20th. So we've got a couple of interviews lined up on that weekend, and then we're back in Mokpo at the beginning of June to interview some of the family members as well again. All right, we had uh, one more email question. It's Kim Jong-woo asks, is the movie geared towards <laughs> Korean audiences or good for anyone to watch? And do you think the movie would have appeal to foreign audiences? I think, uh, I think the way we've, we've put it together is definitely you know, suitable for both Korean audiences and an international audience. I mm. mean, our, our plan yeah. was to try and get this film to as many people as possible. Yeah. So we didn't really want to just, you know, kind of put ourselves in that position where it would only be appealing to either Koreans mm. or an international audience. I mean, it's it's a big issue in Korea. So obviously we had to make a film which appeals to Koreans as they, they I guess they are our primary audience. Mm. And yeah. also we wanted it to be appealing to an international audience because, you know, the more people that see it, the more awareness that gets raised so I think it's got, you know, it's both appealing to Koreans and, you know, non-Koreans. Okay. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I have a question regarding the title. How did you come up with the title? And, uh, like, after the sable? Well, Is there anything um, behind it other than the fact that it's after the fact? Yeah. Um, I mean, we talked about the title quite a lot. Hmm. Yeah. So, hey, Matt, you can probably talk about it a bit more in detail but well, not really i mean it's it's pretty simple um yeah. no it, it was uh, the original idea was to kind of explore what has happened in korea and how korean society has changed after mm. the sinking of the sewol so mm. you know how how to make that into a title so i just thought <laughs> after the sewol yeah there wasn't any other working titles for the movie nope uh, the oh. well the original no, original really. title was Life after the Sewol, which okay. was just weird Sucks. if you think about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we changed yeah. that quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're entering the movie into into you know festivals and stuff like that yeah. currently, and mm -hmm. trying to get it around. So that film is finished. Yes, correct. Yeah, this the first the, the first final, one is final yeah. cut. Yep. And I'm guessing one of the biggest differences between, I don't know, but I'm guessing between, say, a documentary and a, a normal, you know, drama or action film is that you probably have tons of footage mm. to edit and go through and figure out what you want to do compared to a story set board. Mm. Yeah. You know, where you're filming the scene. Yeah, very and much. Yeah. So with all that extra footage, I mean, is it difficult deciding what to leave out, what you want in, you know, especially between two people? It's also not common to have two people always working together mm. as like, you know, writers, producers, directors. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, it's not that common, but it seemed to... I mean, we talked and we we discussed it a lot before. I mean, just after we'd finished doing a few 
small filmings. We hadn't done any interviews at that stage, and we kind of talked about how the film was going to work and how we were going to put it together. And then it just kind of developed and. Like obviously, I edited the uh, the film, and mm-hmm. like usually before I edit the film, I make a what I would call like a paper edit. So I write down the what I want to see at each section, and like well, where the film is gonna start and how it's gonna draw through and go to the end. So I sent that to Matt, and then obviously he gives his thoughts and ideas and different opinions on that, and then we go back and we work on it again and. Then we start actually the physical kind of edit. Uh, so we had, yeah, like you said, I mean, there's a <laughs> hours of and hours and hours of interview content, hours and hours of us going out to film on the streets and general kind of B-roll footage that we've got. I mean, I think we're up to about 20 terabytes now worth of data. Yeah, um, yeah it must be a lot of footage to go through for documentaries i can imagine yeah. the people who do the like those reality tv shows <laughs> and stuff where they're just filming people for 24 hours in a house or something yeah and then having to edit that but so you had a lot of footage mm. so uh what's up next for you guys so you're obviously promoting the movie anything else coming up Matt, you want to talk um well we're, we're hoping to or we're we're considering doing like a kind of a university tour so we want to take our film to a lot of universities and screen now i think that's you know for us that's a good easy cheap solution as to you know getting our film out and um on top of that we're just you know filming as much as we can for part two looking over everything we shot previously which went unused i mean in a way like filming so much for the first film was kind of good for us because you know it's all relevant everything that people talked about was relevant and uh if we if we did decide to keep that in just one film the film would have been like four or five hours so in a way we've already is that the reasoning behind doing a second film i think it's one of the reasons yeah i mean we had a lot of stuff which was relevant that we didn't, you know, want to completely throw away. So that that's like mm-hmm. a that's acting as like a good stepping stone, you know, for the second film. Um, and I, also, I, yeah, go on, sorry, man. don't want to cut yeah, you I, I was just going to say our, the idea we have for the second film, the things we did leave out, do kind of tie in very well. Mm. So I don't. Yeah. Know so obviously, w- one of the bigger points was that when we were fin- about to finish the film. I think around January 2017, we hadn't included anything really to do with the salvage and the ship being raised. Um, we couldn't really find the right specialists to talk to about it. So we kind of decided that we were going to not put it in the first film because it would have probably brought down the whole production value. Um, and then, so we made that decision that we want to make it the second film. I think it was around December or January, I think we made the kind of decision to do that. And obviously then in April, the ship finally was raised, which was very positive and Mm -hmm. also conveniently happened to be at the same time that we got a finished, completed and totally finished edit was at the end of March. So the timing for releasing the first film at the same time as the ship was being raised was incredibly lucky i guess okay um so the the ending of the of the first film is around what time period roughly i mean i don't want to give anything away about your movie or anything so um yeah i think in in terms of uh not you know not 
when you finish the movie, but in terms of footage and stuff. So the, I mean, the second film that we're going to look at is called uh, After the Sewol, the Sewol Generation. Um, mm-hmm. So we're looking more at how the Sewol uh, like movement came about, like the people, the activists, and families, students, farmers, all these different. Like union groups that took to the streets in the uh, end of 2016 for when the Chase and Chill scandal happened. So this coined this kind of name, the Sable Generation. So we're going to be looking at, into more detail of that, like the political side of what's been happening in the last few months in Korea. Um, so we actually end the the first film has two endings effectively. One ending is a speech by Bernie Sanders talking about change. Um, so it's very like it's very suitable to, and it sets up the second film very nicely. And the other ending that we have is basically the families and people we interviewed talking into camera, and they talk to the general public, Korean people around the world who watch the film. About things that they want to see change, not just not just within Korea. They they really felt that you know a lot of things that happened were more. There was a lot of global things like safety is not just a Korean issue, you know. So no. um, they they talked to the camera about how you know democracy is an incredibly important thing, not for, shouldn't be taken for granted. And I think a lot of countries that are going through many different political issues at the moment. It, it stems and it hits home incredibly well with with international audiences just for, alone for the fact of what's happened with the president here that was impeached and likely mm. going to be sitting behind some lovely grey bars in the near future. Mm. Um, you know, what's going on in America with, you know, the, the new administration, what's happening in Europe with like France, for example, with them electing Macron and obviously Brexit that happened in the UK where we're both from. You know, so there's a lot of change. There's a lot of interesting uh, political uh, issues happening at the moment around the world. So I think the film really stems and it, it's it's something that people can watch and get something out of, not just in Korea. So yeah, it's really admirable um, the Koreans, uh, the society, how they're being able to peacefully protest positively mm, and yeah. get things done. I mean, I can't think of any other situation where it's been this powerful. Like uh, society has come together. So mm. oh, yeah, I agree. It was you know I went. There, I think I was filming almost every weekend after the first uh, candlelight protest in October. I think the end of October or November time last year, and it was incredible to see the amount of people coming to the street and protesting about like the president and wanting the truth to come out about the Sable issue, and not just that, like a lot of other things, you know, the American issues that have happened, the FTA agreements with not just America but like Japan, the comfort women issues and right. you know there's so many unresolved issues in korea not just say well a side of say well um so it was incredibly empowering to see these people take to the street in demonstration of something that stems from korean history like the corruption and the chables so yeah. um, it's a big moment yeah 
Sorry, yeah. I can talk for hours on this. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, fine. We can listen too. Um, <laughs> is it is it difficult to be unbiased as a filmmaker in some of these? You know, especially when there is clearly a side to be taking. You know, do you try try to keep yourself away from taking a side when you're doing the filmmaking, or how does that work? Yeah, I think most like well, when you, when we're filming with the families, for example, it is kind of hard to not you know sympathize with them and you know choose a side um yeah it's extremely difficult but then there's other times when you're just out filming general b-roll and it just feels like you're almost just filming you know everyday life so you don't really have to choose a side but yeah there was i mean like in the last set of interviews we done which were like the they were extremely emotional it was very difficult Mm. to remain you know neutral in that kind of like scenario um yeah I mean, we tried to, you know, we we did try to contact the safety ministry, Ministry of Safety. Um, We tried to talk to professors who would be able to tell us, you know, these kind of reasons why certain things were happening. Ministers, we tried to talk to them. Um, So as filmmakers, eventually, I mean, we're trying to be unbiased, but as, well, there you go, there's Luna. (laughs) Oh, she's adorable. Say hello, Luna. Say hello. We gotta wait hello. this way, though. <laughs> hello. hello, Luna. Can't hear anything. <laughs> Adorable. No. Adorable. Can, can you go play with mummy? <laughs> yes. Reminds me of the, uh, the BBC. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I brought up. Really. Uh, you can sit here for five so minutes, okay? I have a question. You know, it's, movies obviously got to cost money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and indeed you know w- where are you getting the fund from in terms of you know completing and taking on a second second movie on top of the, all of that looks like uh matthew probably has a few extra bills yeah. <laughs> and things that he has to take care of so the first uh, film yeah. we actually we did do a crowdfunding campaign we ran three uh, two international ones and a Korean one and both international ones kind of failed in terms of reaching our goal um, but they did have flexible funding, so we was able to keep what we did raise. And our Korean one, we we ended up getting more than two hundred percent of the goal that we was looking for. Wow. So I guess in total from funding, we had just short of you know ten million won. Which that, I mean, in total for the first film, that was about a that's about a third of what we actually spent you know on production. And then since production, obviously we've had to spend on extra things such as film festivals. And that, um, which that extra or those other two thirds came out of, you know, Neil's and my own oh, pocket. pocket. And so far, mm, the yeah. second film, uh, we've been paying for that with our own money, and we've just launched a, another crowdfunding campaign, which we're hoping to, you know, make up more of the costs this yeah, time. We can, we can link that, right? Yeah, I'm going to have all the links to yeah. everything in the show notes for the podcast. But if people do want to help out or get get involved. Mm. How can they do that? So, yeah, so we've got, obviously, the new crowdfunding on a site, this Korean website called Tumblebug. Um, so people can go and check that out. Obviously, it's in Korean because our primary focus is Korean people because they know more about the Sable tragedy than anyone else. Um, but if anybody is interested, they can send us messages on Facebook or look at the website. Um, we're happy to help them to donate to us. If they want to donate privately as well, we've, we can, I'm sure we, we're happy to take private donations. 
as well. So they can just get in touch with us on the Facebook page or through the website or through you guys or. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So uh, your promotional code. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <At Chang-Warner. laughs> so what are your what are your future plans in Korea? Both of you. Uh, are you going to be sticking around here for a while? Uh, Matthew, you got a little bundle of joy there. Yeah, so. I think I'm going nowhere soon. So <laughs> yeah. I think I'm here for the long haul. There All you right. go. Um, but yeah, in terms really... of plans, just, you know, continue with these Sewol films until the whole issue's been resolved or everyone, you know, seems to have their justice and peace with it. Um, yeah. I'll probably take on a few other film projects as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'll just continue my life as normal. Filming is normal until, you know, until we get to that time where it's time to move our daughter from the Korean education system to a, <laughs> to a Western one, I guess. Yeah. All right. And Neil? Um, yeah. I, obviously, we've got the second film we need to finish. So, and we're probably going to do a third film at some stage in the future as well. Um, I mean, I've been, I've got some options to go and work in some other countries if I want to. Um I'm seeing how that is at the moment. I'm not too sure, but Korea's, you know, been a big part of my life since sort of, 2005. So even if I do move away for any kind of time period, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be back. So it's uh, a lot of really, you know, Korea's a great country. You know, there's a lot of, it has its problems, as every other country does. But yeah, I think it's, uh, I, I'll probably be here or within touching distance of Korea no doubt for the rest of my days. It's mm, lovely. Actually, I have, a, I have a, another question. Um, how can we uh, watch this movie? Uh, this yeah. Actually, that was the, the majority of email questions we got. Yeah. Was is there a, is there a page where we can uh, make a donation and maybe so we did be able to watch yeah, it? Yeah, we did release the film for twenty four hours um, when the, on the anniversary, and mm. because the the biggest problem we've got is some of the film festivals they want to have uh, uh, they call like premieres so. Okay. Country premieres, worldwide premieres, etc., stuff like this. So it makes it a little bit difficult to right. release the film anywhere else. But we are trying to organize a lot of screenings around Korea at the moment in some universities and some slightly smaller screening venues. Uh, so, like, check out the, the Facebook page. We are constantly updating news on that. And also, as soon um, as we we do, you know, kind of have the okay to do another online mm-hmm. release, we will be definitely doing another yeah. one of them, which we hope is going to be pretty soon, actually. So, yeah. like Neil said, the best thing to do is just follow the Facebook page or the website where we post all of this information. All right. And I'll have, like I said, I'll have all the links to, yeah. you know, all your stuff on the show notes for the podcast and on our website and then on Facebook. Yeah. But if people want to get in touch with you, Neil, mm. how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, well, send me Facebook or like just send me some message on the Facebook page. Like we're constantly checking the Facebook page. We get messages almost every day, I guess. Or every other day, asking where where they can see the film. So I was going to say you're pretty quick with responding to. Yeah, I mean, almost every message I've sent, literally, <laughs> I could see the three dots going. Yeah, you know, right in time. Well, I mean, constantly editing all the time, and either we're out always filming, on. so we're always kind of within touching distance of a computer or a phone so endless technology so we like to yeah we like to keep people informed as much as we can so when we know we know it's a little bit frustrating that some people can't 
obviously see the film at the moment and we really appreciate that so and we appreciate the fact that people are interested in wanting to watch the film so we are mm-hmm. trying our best to you know come up with a the distribution for it as quickly as possible and so people can access it or get to see it so and matthew how can people get in touch with you uh same thing either same uh, thing via facebook um whether it be the, the after the sale page or my own page which is linked on the the page um but for any listener who may not have facebook however strange that sounds um <laughs> They can shoot me. Exist. They can shoot me an email, um, yeah. which we, I guess, we can put in the links. Yeah, yeah. technology. Technology. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Isn't There's it? quite a few right. engineers and stuff living here yeah. that they don't use Facebook or anything like that. But uh, anyway, then. so uh, we'd like to thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for taking your time, guys. Mm. We really appreciate this. Yeah, no, thanks just to you. A, yeah, thanks just for having a us. quick, people want to get in touch with myself, you can email me at scott.chungwanner.com if people want to get in touch with Phil. Phil is on Facebook, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah, again, his links are there. And Adam? Yeah, adam at chungwanner.com. Ever stalwart. And there you go. All right, so... Uh, Really looking forward to seeing this movie. We enjoyed the trailer. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I'm really look looking very... forward to watching it. Actually, yeah. <laughs> was, it, was it difficult putting that trailer together um, without giving too much away of the movie? But I'm sorry, I can't ask. It's fine. Third or fourth trailer, wasn't it? Yeah, we made an extended trailer. We made a, a small trailer when we had basically nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we just made that just to kind of gain a little bit of interest in the film, and then we made an extended trailer after we did a couple of interviews. Um, but it wasn't didn't have the impact that we kind of desired for the trailer and then i wanted to make a more kind of netflixy style trailer for the actual official one so it wasn't i mean we had the content so it was just the case of getting it right and getting the information right and the timing and the music so i mean it actually only took about two hours to put it together so it's pretty quick and you can find both of those on youtube right yeah they're all on or or your facebook yeah youtube or facebook i think the facebook ones had about seventy thousand views or something now which is uh kind of kind of impressive for a independent documentary trailer yeah the youtube one's about 15 Mm. people can find out you can find out more information regarding both films at after the saywall.com right yes your main website that's correct yeah all right uh thanks again guys uh it was really nice having you on so our guests matthew root and neil george uh if you want to find out any any more things about their film please visit after the saywall.com please remember to share comment like this episode wherever you come across it and if you'd like to be a guest on the show or have questions and comments for us please email us at podcast at chinewater.com thanks very much and uh have a great week Thanks for tuning in to the Changwana Podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode.